0: thing you know we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and um you know they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that's that's what happens
1: and the full credit to shane he just just merged into the into the family as if he'd been there all along
0: i was embarrassed for that race to restart in tasmania
1: dumps like that that just isn't acceptable from the racetracks across australia out here's inside supercars
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Supercars. Unfortunately, Tony Whitlock is still unwell and our thoughts go out to him, Craig Revell, in the seat this week following an interesting race meeting at Queensland Raceway, to say the very least. This week's show, we speak to Jess Dane with her background in motor racing and coming from a family synonymous with racing. We find out if it was always going to be her destiny to be part of the motor racing empire. We also find out a lot more about her role at 888 Race Engineering and we also find out what she'd change about supercars if she ruled the world. It's an interesting chat which we have on this week's program. But... First to some of the news making headlines and tyres were the talk of the press conferences and the drivers, a few of the team managers as well across the weekend, and today, well, Tuesday when we're recording the show, the Commission was meeting on potentially increasing the allocation of tyres across the 2019 season. Here's a few grabs from the drivers, Shane Van Gisberg and Chas Mostert, about what that will do to racing and how tire banks are feeling pretty depleted at this point of the season
2: car feels really good it did all day it's just frustrating um on the old tires you know it's we're so tire limited these days and um yeah just waste the first session but um yeah car felt good but you just don't learn anything because the tires are so old i guess um you know we're tire limited there's been no wet races we've finished every race there's a lot of guys in the same boat makes it tough for everyone but um Yeah, and then you put new tyres on and feel good about life. Like Shane said, the tyre situation is absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's most of my sets this weekend because finishing a lot of the races a year, I match sets from say what it's one side from Hidden Valley and something from Stevens Plains, and you don't know if you're chasing tyre or or car. It's it's really tricky. The only time you get a decent run is this last run on tyres, and you get the most out of it or you don't, and you really the order is quite probably muddled up today. So yeah, obviously, Scotty, though they've been benchmark of the year, he probably
0: deserves to be up here and stuff like that as well. So it's quite tricky in our category at the moment. So the points at the moment sit exactly the same difference as they did coming into the Queensland Raceway Round with Scott McLaughlin winning on Saturday and Shane Van Gisbergen coming home in second. In Sunday's race, it was a reverse. Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin. McLaughlin now on 2,321 points with Van Gisbergen on 2,190 points. Jamie Wincup has moved to third place solidly now with David Reynolds back there in fourth and Craig Lowndes rounding out the top five. Lowndes' finish on Saturday in third place was a podium that was well-received by the fans and there's talk about the, is the fan reaction where he can't go more than... Two steps without fans wanting to give him a pat on the back, shake his hand or get a photo with him. Is that going to be the new norm for the rest of the year?
2: Yeah, I think that, uh, look, firstly, it's great um, to have the support. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm just really enjoying it. Just sort of, I'm uh, you know, more, more relaxed now. I think, you know, <clears throat> I'm really thankful as I have um, told people that I wake up every morning and I still feel I've made the right decision. So I think it is the right decision. Um, I want to push hard until the end of the season. Every round we go to, it's going to be my last round. Uh, we're going to talk about it again. Um, but, look, it, I'm, I'm just relaxed in myself and uh, really looking forward to the season. Um, you know, hopefully the crowds do come out and support the category as a whole. Um, you know, I think that we've got some great young drivers in the category that are going to uh, blossom and bloom and get up there. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, for me it's just... Um uh, you know, not, as I said, at the right time and as head, head. great to see the sport.
0: Now, a couple of things coming out of this weekend's racing and that was that uh, Walkinshaw Andretti United, they had an incident on Sunday where Scott Pye and James Courtney came together both having differing views. In fact, as soon as Scott Pye had finished he was out of the car and straight into the trailer. They were downloading the vision almost immediately and uh, going to work through it with Matt tech O'Neillson over Seeing that discussion, both had differing views on how it all came together. Erebus copped a uh, fine, $10,000 with 5000 suspended, for an incident on Anton Di Pasquale's car. Erebus were also handed a team's point penalty, which has now seen the team hit with a 30-point deduction. In coming weeks we're going to hear from Richie Stanaway about his rookie year and we're also going to hear from Tim Edwards and Richard Holway on GRM and how they're developing over this 2018 season. So their interviews coming up in the weeks ahead. But coming up after the break, it's Justine. Each week join the Inside Motorsport
1: team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it.
0: means a lot, you know. Through the years, a lot of reference this race as one of our majors. Six hundred miles around here is no easy task.
2: Uh, we we're able to beat the 2 to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do. Um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the
1: Rapps' side the family. Inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
0: Well, Justine, it's a pleasure to have a chance to have a chat with you. And from what I understand on social media, and you can never trust social media, but since you wrote it, it's probably true. (laughs) Beginning of this year, you had a pretty rough turn.
3: Yeah, it was. Um, oh, firstly, thank you for uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, beginning of this year, um, I came down with appendicitis, which isn't uncommon by any means. Apparently, they do like hundred, uh, no, ten appendix operations appendectomies a week. So that was me thinking I was special or something, but no, nah, apparently not. Plenty of people have them every week. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a shock. But thankfully, I came down with it the night. Um, after the Red Bull Holden Racing Team launch So we'd been in Sydney uh, all day before And then the, all day Friday for the launch on Which was on a boat um, And just thank goodness that it didn't flare up 24 hours earlier Because um, I'd have been no use uh, at the launch And probably wouldn't have been safe to jump on an aeroplane
0: My understanding is you were just thinking you were a crook And someone actually forced you to go to hospital is that Have I read that right?
3: yeah yeah that's that's pretty much what happened I thought I would just soldier on um and it was just a bit of a bit of a stomach bug um but and then the doctor I went to a first doctor and he told me to um uh go home and, and rest up for three days and if I was still feeling a bit crooked three days go for a blood test um but luckily my uh, my partner decided to force me to go to the hospital and um yeah it was about was it 36 hours later I was uh, being put to sleep and and being cut open.
0: <laughs> well, before then, you've had a quite an interesting ro- life in motor racing. Did you think, growing up, you were going to be part of motor racing?
3: I never, I've never. i never really been one for looking too far into the future. I mean, if we actually rewind the clock and look back at what I genuinely thought that my future would look like, it involved winning an Oscar and uh, living in Los Angeles, but... Um, <coughs> Yeah, luckily that never came true. How acting <laughs> <of the laughs> classes? Are there? Yeah, yeah. I um, thankfully uh, prioritised sport over acting, which turned out to probably be a wise choice. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've ever really looked looked ahead that far in the future. I've always been conscious of what I'm enjoying at the time and looked to pursue. Um, something in that down that avenue if that makes sense at all it um I've I've always known that I love motorsport I've grown up in motorsport and so it made sense to make that decision when I was getting to the end of um university in the UK I remember it was a it was absolutely soaking day in Silverstone at Silverstone and I'd stayed up all night to watch Bathurst, and I then, having done an all-nighter, drove from Oxfordshire to Silverstone for the British F3 final, and um, thought to myself on the drive home, I'm doing this because I love motorsport, but I'm doing this in the middle of October, when it's freezing cold, rain's driving down sideways, so why don't I just go and do it in Australia and see what you know, see what comes of it?
0: So, what did you study at uni?
3: Journalism, uh, multimedia journalism, so... Um, it was it, it encompassed traditional journalism, uh, but also taught us skills with TV, radio, um, multimedia, as the name suggests.
0: Was social media part of the course at that stage?
3: They insisted that we had Twitter accounts, um, but that's about as far as it went, to be honest. Social media then, when I was at uni, um, a bit. I graduated six years ago. I was at uni between two thousand nine to two thousand twelve. Um, and social media wasn't the beast, even then, that it is now. It's changed so much over the last six years. And Twitter was, as it is now still, a source of breaking news, but it's a medium to do so. Um, but it, it wasn't such an evil beast that it is now.
0: What was your first job then, working in, you know, as a journalist or as you got out of uni?
3: first job I, I worked throughout university um in a bar at a yard doing horses and freelancing wherever somebody would give me a byline so um yeah i mean i was just adding as much to my cv as, a, as i possibly could while i was at uni and trying to um earn the funds to keep up a student lifestyle <laughs> uh, which uh, which looking back was not expensive but at the time it felt like it was um so yeah i mean i've i've as soon as I turned 14 and could apply for a job, I, I applied for a job. Um, so I've, I've worked all my life. Um, even though, you know, when I was 14, it was only um, washing up pots at a pub. But um, I've, I've always liked to think that I've had a good work ethic. That's been instilled by me into me by my father, and that's um, something that I've continued, continued right through uni, up, hopefully up until now.
0: So, what was your first byline?
3: Oh first byline I should be able to remember that I think it was in the Farnham Herald which was my local newspaper Um, and I did work experience there and they uh, gave me a couple of bylines for some dodgy stories in return Mm.
0: So Roland's come out to Australia and started racing out here and you've decided to come out what's that decision how big is that decision to leave England had you had many trips to Australia before and that sort of thing
3: I came over for the first time. So, sorry, rewind to the start. RD moved out here in 2003 when I was 13. I didn't actually know that for the first six months. So I found out from my friend that he'd moved out here. I just thought he was on an extended business trip or something. Um, but I didn't actually come out here until I was um, 18 in 2008 and spent 2008-9 out here. Um, and I kept coming back, and then I started uni in 2009 in the UK, and I kept coming back in, to Australia uh, when I was supposed to be in lectures. but kept skiving two weeks here, two weeks there to come over to Australia, go to Abu Dhabi, Bahrain when we were racing there. Um, and so, really, the the decision that I made it was yeah October 2011 when I decided to move out here, and then I had to finish uni and go through the process of getting a visa. But the decision itself wasn't a hard one. I didn't. I certainly didn't even consider the magnitude of the move. It wasn't until I breezily told my mum down the phone that I was applying for my visa and moving to Australia when I'd graduated and she then didn't talk to me for a week that I actually realised, oh, maybe this is quite a big thing after all. <laughs> and, um, and And when everyone else was starting to plan their careers post-university, I was obviously in a fortunate position that I knew that I would have something, Um, I didn't 100% know what that was, but I knew I would have something as long as I was granted a visa, which was, I'll admit, a bit hit and miss for a moment, Um, but the, um, yeah, I don't think, it it was never a hard decision for me, at all.
0: So you come to Australia, how does Jess Stain end up in the gearbox shop of Triple Eight?
3: Uh, my father had this con- this idea that I was a very cocky teenager. Um, I think that's probably because he didn't spend that much time with me. Um, I, I wasn't the confident teenager that he seemed to think I was. Uh, so he put me in sub-assembly to try and bring me down a peg or two. Um, I didn't really have any pegs to come down, I don't think. But um, it was... Yeah, it, w- it was a fantastic experience. I learnt so much, all of which I've forgotten now. But uh, <laughs> at the time, you don't time need I it. There was
0: a Hollinger, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah,
3: back back in those days. Um, yeah, it it certainly taught me an awful lot, and um, was a very good base to start. Particularly because so many of the guys who I worked with ten years ago are still here today, and they know that I've done done all of the jobs, started at the bottom, worked my way up to where I am now. Nothing along the way has been gifted to me. And I think that the fact that I did start there has has earned respect on different levels that I perhaps wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't started in that position.
0: Where to after sub-assembly?
3: After sub-assembly, I... Um, did a few stints when I when I was coming back to Australia when I was supposed to be over at uni. I did a few longer stints for about six weeks, two months here and there. Um, and then I kind of started to get a feel for the marketing department a bit more and uh, the PR side of it a little bit more. Um, obviously, because I was only doing short stints at a time, it was always limited in what I could get involved in. But I was always... Uh, really excited to be able to give my ideas and get involved in it and learn as much as I could. That's always what I've always wanted to do: is learn whatever I can, where I can, and be inquisitive. And um, from there, that's my, my journalism degree. Then helped me get the um, uh, media and PR role, which again I learnt so much doing that. Um, but I got a little bit stale doing that after two and a half years. Mm-hmm. It, it ground on me a bit um, especially the social media side of it it's it's such a negative environment it can be so positive and it can be so uplifting and the best thing when you've had a great weekend or even if you've had a bad weekend um, and hearing from the fans when when you're feeling up or when you're feeling down and you've got fans to help you build build you back up um, can be fantastic and it reminds you of why we do what we do but on the other hand it can be so draining and every negative email, every negative comment, being the person who reads that, it feels personal. It really does. And you take every comment, some of them you, you can you know brush off as just silly, but you do take every comment personally to some extent. And after two and a half years of that, that, that ground me down and I felt like I wanted to go and do something else. So I took a bit of—I call it my sabbatical. Um, Worked in, got a job in TV production, and went and worked in TV production for um, for six months or so. But had to remind myself of why I moved to Australia, which was for motorsport, and uh, followed my followed my heart and followed my passion back to Triple Eight, and now on, you know, another few roles on which have included team coordinator, a stint back doing PR and media manager while also being team coordinator, while also working commercial operations but now thankfully I'm solely in commercial operations with a bit of PR and media on the side when required.
0: Before I ask you what that means, if we can explore the um, social media side again, because you had quite a dichotomy in the team there. You had the best driver in a generation that is Amazingly shunned, unbelievably shunned and the most popular driver of his generation side by side racing I I can't imagine how difficult that is these are the two best drivers in the country and yet poles apart in public perception and I imagine coming into you, you know, Jamie uh, Jamie has always joked with me about geez it was good to get rid of Craig because now I can't block him in pit lane But you're getting all that, you're seeing all that, you have to filter that. How difficult is that?
3: I have huge respect for the drivers and and any people in the the spotlight who can brush it off and not think about it. And Jamie is fantastic at that. He just doesn't, doesn't care what people think because he's learnt that it doesn't matter. The people who matter... To him are the ones whose opinions matter, and they 're the ones he values what people say on social media he doesn 't let that phase him um, whereas Craig 's at the other end of the spectrum, and he reads a lot of the social media and a lot of the comments, Thankfully, the majority of the time the vast majority of the time it 's very positive, um, but he, he does read that more, and he takes it in, in more than jamie um, it's yeah it 's a very interesting balance between the two of them. I think certainly a few years ago, and Jamie and, uh, Sh- Jamie and Craig have been teammates now for, what, 13 years? So there, have, there has been a period within that long stint where Jamie has been worried about what the public think of him and feels like he needs to be able to influence that. But as he's got older and wiser he's learned that the results will speak for themselves and perhaps not it and perhaps it's hard for a figure like craig Lowndes to share that spotlight with somebody at the same time and it will be interesting to see after craig retires at the end of this year from full-time driving who rises up into that spotlight i mean we've all got a pretty good idea of who it might be but how is that how is that spot then filled? Not necessarily who is going to be the next Craig Lowndes, because as Craig said himself um, this week in an interview with the Sunday Herald, Craig Lowndes is not Peter Brock. He said, he said, I'm not Peter Brock, I'm Craig Lowndes. Just like the next person, we can't compare them to Craig Lowndes, although they um, you know, undoubtedly will be. Um, that person will be who they are. And they, you know, whether they take on board all the social media, all, all the comment, all the talk... Is, um, is up to them and if they do choose to take it on board you've just got to learn to rise above it and, um, and not let it get to you when it does turn nasty mm-hmm.
0: How's it go then to be able to filter that? You said it wore you out but probably the, the person writing it is thinking they're speaking to the person they're writing it about but it's really you, know, your, you or your team member that is actually the filter
3: absolutely it's i think people feel like because they're talking to a team they forget that there is a real human being at the other end of that on the other side of that screen at the other end of that keyboard and that person is so invested in the team that it's to the extent of it being their family that it it gets it gets that person down and I know it's not just me. I know lots of other people up and down pit lane in other sports and other businesses feel exactly the same way. You have to have a tough skin to be able to deal with the negativity that gets thrown at the team. Because, as I just said, you're so invested in it that everything feels a bit personal. So, you know, maybe I maybe I didn't perfect that filter and that's why it did wear me down. And every so often I have to remind myself not to scroll through those comments because it does still upset me um having particularly with with roland being quite a, a public figure and a very controversial figure at that a lot of them i can just laugh at a lot of those nasty comments i can laugh at but every so often you read one and think you don't even know him you you don't know roland you don't know the team you don't know the drivers really um you know what you see on tv but what right does that give you to say that so and so is a nasty person what right does that give you to, to pass any kind of judgment on whatever somebody has achieved? And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I didn't quite get that filter, but on the other hand, maybe I haven't got that filter because I am so personally invested in Triple Eight and, and the team as a whole and our enti- the entire Triple Eight family.
0: We'll have more from Jess Dane after the break here on Inside Supercars.
1: Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au.
0: Thanks for staying with us on Inside Supercars. We continue our chat now with Jess Dane. RD then brought another rooster into the henhouse, didn't he? Shane, how did, didn't that merger, mm-hmm. how did that merger go?
3: To be honest, Shane just blended in so easily. The transition from two to three cars was... Easier than we than we could have ever predicted we were running one, two three up until race two of, of homebush in two thousand and sixteen. That whole two thousand and sixteen season introducing Shane introducing the third car was um, everyone dug deep and gave it their all and um, Shane fitted into the team. Seamlessly, uh, took on an awful amount of responsibility in being thrown into the biggest team in pit lane when he'd come from one of the smallest teams in pit lane, and suddenly having so many sponsor commitments and media expectations, and uh, he dealt with it all in his stride really, really well.
0: So, as commercial director, Operations. manager commercial sorry. Just
3: commercial operations. Commercial operations. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> <So>. that means.
0: <laughs> what is it? Can you explain what that role is in a supercar team?
3: Essentially, it's looking after our team partners. That's the that's the short version of it. Um, so we're lucky enough to have a fantastic portfolio of team partners, some great blue chip companies, um, and some some smaller suppliers. But everyone is just as important to us as as everyone else within that that partnership portfolio. And that not only encompasses looking after them directly, looking after how they want to activate, when they want to access the team, the drivers, but also looking after ride days. And, um, uh, and the partner program in general encompasses so much these days. <laughs> um, you know, Looking after video shoots, um, u- uniforms and team kit comes under it, things like show cars, stickering, um, basically, everything you see that doesn't go directly on the race car falls into our little commercial department. Of so contracts,
0: legal, all those mm-hmm. sides of the business as well?
3: Basically, yeah. Whenever, whenever you have a new partner on board or when you're renewing with a partner, obviously there has to be a contract. The bigger ones have their own contracts um, that they naturally draw up with their legal team. But for the majority of them, it, it's up to Tom, who works with me in commercial operations. Um, it's up to Tom and me to, to write up contracts for them. So, uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to be a bit switched on to, to do that aspect of it, certainly make sure we're not getting ourselves into any holes that we can't back ourselves out of and get in trouble with
0: Roland. So what do you think is the next step for you?
3: Yeah, I've been asked that. I'm not 100%. Like like I said earlier, I very much think about what I'm enjoying at the moment and look at exploring what comes next in that avenue. For me, I have personal short-term goals of things like getting better at selling sponsorship. Um, That's, you know, I haven't been in the position where I've had to go out and find partners yet because I'm still fairly new in... In the area of commercial operations, um, so that that's a personal goal for me to to be able to kick some goals, tick some boxes in terms of finding uh, finding new partners, bringing in new money, keeping the partners that we have continuing and, and happy, of course. Um, but further than further than the short term personal goals, I mean it it always largely depends upon. The vision that RD has for the team next, uh, whatever that might be, that um, so, you know, there's there's been lots of talk about succession plans and things. Um, RD has set himself up well to have a succession plan. So, as as is common knowledge, he sold off shares uh, in the team back in 2015. Um, I'm one of those shareholders, which isn't quite as as well known, but uh, but I. But I Purchased shares in the team back then, and that was probably the biggest thing that I've done. That's looking ahead into the future. But uh, why did you do that? Um, partly because it was it, it was a family decision between between me and RD. Um, but
0: You couldn't it, afford the payroll, so he said, "I'll give you shares."
3: <laughs> that there, there was definitely a deal done in there that I don't, you know, <laughs> I I forfeit dividends in return for <laughs> good good. Um, Interest rate on the loan. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was. It's part of RD's succession plan. He wanted it to happen, and of course, it was. Um, it, it actually all happened in a time when I wasn't working at the team. It was when I was working in TV production um, that 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 all happened. So at the time, I wasn't even thinking that I'd I'd be at Triple Eight, but it felt like it made sense to me to still have some involvement. Um, but now I am back at Triple Eight. Um, where that leads us in the future um, very much depends on, on RD's vision for what that future looks like.
0: You, at the races since the third car have come along, have always been in the Caltech's now autobahn livery. Was that a very deliberate choice by you, by the team in general? Obviously, you, other team owners that have multiple liveries switch and chop and change but you've always stayed with the Craig Lowndes car
3: that was really because when we brought in the third car I'd come back to 888 and at the time was team coordinator while doing a little bit of PR and media on the side so because I was working the majority of the time as team coordinator um, and we had a full time media manager it made sense for the full time media manager to be positioned with the red bull holden racing team or red bull racing australia back in 2016 um and me with craig because one driver and craig is the easiest driver in the category to deal with but one driver is easier than and a less in a smaller workload than two drivers so that was that was purely the reason that i was originally put in um the team vortex colors now autobahn um and then from there, um, our former commercial manager, who was also based on the Team Vortex side, um, departed in 2016. And it made sense for when Tom took the step up to commercial, uh, commercial director, it made sense for me to um, stay on the Team Vortex side as I was already the, the familiar face in that garage.
0: Rumors are a great thing. The
3: rumor mill? The rumor mill.
0: The, the talk we're in Queensland Raceway when we're chatting the talk is that next year you might be uh, elevated to team principal for the <laughs> one car team <laughs> and, and uh, it might be a, an all female affair there have you heard that? what do you think of that when it's told to you?
3: Uh, pretty much that reaction i have heard it and it just makes me it makes me giggle (laughs) it's because i think it's it's a fantastic idea i would think that that would be a really really cool um cool prospect but it's certainly not something that we have planned at the moment it i mean i'm so pro um encouraging female participation in the sport and uh, I helped to bring Dare to be different over to over to Australia. I worked with Susie Wolf um, for uh, part of last year, much of this year, to get the program started in Australia. So I'm very pro uh, females in the sport. Um, and but it's there's so much going on behind the scenes for us to work out whether we run two, three, four cars next year, and if if we run four, then you know how how do we run a female team when we've only got one. It, should we have one... There's really only one female driver in the category who, by the way, is under contract until the end of next year anyway. So under I'd... contract
0: to supercars?
3: No, with, with the Kellys, from what I understand. I mean, clarify with her, but I understand mm. that she's under contract with the Kellys. Um, but realistically, if you were going to have a female driver in a car, um, there's only one. Mm. And there's, there's no one else, no other female drivers in Australia at the moment who are ready to take that step into a fourth car. Um, in, and uh, in parachutes 20. on
0: one end. We've seen how hard it is for international drivers. Simona being an example. It takes a, a couple of years to even get them up to speed.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It does. It's not an easy category to get started at all. Even if you've come up from Super Two, we see how the how many rookies have we got in this year's field? Five or something. Mm. It's we've seen how hard it is for a rookie who's grown up in the category to come in and fight for that spot. I mean, people look back at Scotty McLaughlin in 2013. He was an anomaly. He, he was a superstar, won a race in his first year, which is unheard of. And that seems to have set the expectation for people that rookies should be able to come in and perform within a top 10 standard consistently in their first year. It just doesn't work like that. We have got one of the most competitive categories in the world. And to be honest, it is testament to how good the racing is that you have people coming in from homegrown talent in Australia but also people from from outside who've got fantastic CVs to their names. You've got them coming in and and struggling to keep up with the level of competition that we've got here.
0: Australian racing, compared to what you were seeing in England, is there a huge difference between the level of professionalism, the, obviously there's a big difference what you see on the track and that's going to happen, but the level of professionalism, the dedication of people any difference at all?
3: It's I think it is a bit different, I mean gone are the glory days of British Touring Cars, there's a reason that Triple Eight um, took the move over here and because that's because British Touring Cars went the way it did, which was People with money buying themselves seats to crash into each other. Um, Obviously, there are still some professional outfits and very good drivers, um, and some standard within the sport is still maintained, still has an entertainment factor. But, um, yeah, we. I think so many Australians don't realise how lucky we are. I shouldn't say Australians, people within Australia and, and New Zealand, I don't think people completely realise how lucky we are to have the standard that we that we enjoy here.
0: Now, if Justine ruled the world... Again, <laughs> yeah, <what>, another worry. <laughs> what would you like to see in the series? What would be your number one fix to make this... You know make supercars great again if that is a term we can use
3: oh that is a good question indeed. I went to um the i went to fuji six hour last year and watched um for the w e c and I, don't worry, I'm not going to say that we should all be running hybrid engines or anything like that <laughs> um talking to the porsche engineers there. They were genuinely sad that what they called the last bastion of, cre- of engineering creativity was being taken away from them. And I, that that really sunk in with me. Yes, we've got to have ways of controlling costs in the category. That's another reason why the racing is so close. Um, but on the other hand, if we had more engineering creativity, I think we could yeah we we could push the boundaries of of what we're doing
0: it all comes at a cost and as a shareholder that's something that you have to reconcile isn't it
3: absolutely absolutely it's um like i said we're lucky in this sport that it is so close and that's partly because of the cost control not through salary capping or anything like that thankfully we don't have have anything along those lines but the control the amount of control parts in the cars the controlled testing the number of tires yes there's always arguments for more testing more tires all of that but um it keeps coming back to maintaining the quality of the sport and that should be first and foremost the quality of the entertainment package that we're providing
0: well it might have been a year in the making this interview but thanks very <laughs> much just' for your time
3: no problem at all thank you very much i'm glad that we managed to uh, to sit down and, and have this chat after a whole year of talking about it <laughs>
0: My thanks to Jess Dane. Coming up next week on the show, we'll have Richard Holloway also speak to Tim Edwards and... Richie Stanway. So I hope you can join us then for that. But we've still got a little bit more on the show after the break. A final thought here on Inside Supercars.
1: Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every every year I see Jackie's crew Grand Prix and I just remind myself. of of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
3: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but
1: motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page.
0: Welcome back to Inside Supercars, this week's Final thought was the observation that Chas Mostert made over the weekend about being back on the podium and how he felt about being in the running for a trophy last weekend at Queensland Raceway.
2: Yeah, first of all, just want a big, big shout out to Super Cheap Auto, still backing me, so I uh, really appreciate you hanging through the tough times. But yeah, kind of sitting up here feeling like uh, one of those kids used to racing karting that you know, kind of was just a home track advantage or one of those kids who just went really good at one track all the time, so uh, car's obviously feeling good for me, but always had reasonably good running up here, so it's good to come to a track that we go strong at um, see where the car, the car is kind at and uh, keep chipping away, but it's been a while since I've been under that type of pressure, uh, definitely when there's a trophy on the line, so for me it was uh, pretty exciting to, to have a crack I probably used my tyre a lot um, the, my car felt really good in that last stint from you know the start to, to mid stint so I used the tyre a lot and caught caught up to these guys a fair bit, but kind of one same thing. Once I got close enough to them, you know, started to hit my cliff. So uh, these guys, I think, raced a much more smarter tyre life race today than what I did, and I think that's what really dragged me back to Jamie. But he looked like in the mirrors driving quite smooth and looking after his tyres, and uh, me a little bit of a nervous teenager type thing at the wheel going for third place and uh, just trying to hang on. So it was very exciting for me. I'm glad to hang on to it.
0: All going well, Tony will be back with us next week as we head in towards the Sydney Motorsport Round Night Race on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now.
1: Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.